Welcome to TSF Life, a podcast ministry of the Shepherd's Fellowship Church in Marion, Ohio. TSF Life is designed to bring you biblical teaching in a relational way that's easy to apply to your life. Let's join Pastor Tom Hypes as we dive into today's teaching. Okay, so as you can tell, I got my voice back this week, which was good. I was kind of looking scary in the middle of the uh, week, but we're back up and running. Hopefully I'm not too mucusy or coffee on you, but (laughs) you shouldn't have sat in the front row. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Um, But if you've not been with us, we're in a study on uh, spiritual gifts, and specifically the area of spiritual gifts that we call the team ministry gifts. If when you accept Jesus as leader and forgive in your life, by acknowledging with your mouth that you, he is the Son of God, and believing in your heart he died and rose again, in other words, you're God, I'm not, you're following him, that according to the scripture, the Holy Spirit, that part of God that we call the Holy Spirit, resides within us. And that with that, we all have different spiritual gifts that come. Um, doesn't mean that they come with full maturity, but they give us supernatural capacities to be able to grow in certain areas as, as he's decided to give us whatever particular gift that is. So we've been studying those gifts as a, uh, how that impacts each other as a church, uh, how does that impact me personally, and how does that impact me as part of the team, and how do we rely on each other and work together to be able to take care of the needs, not just of the saints, but also of those that are out in our community around us. So we have done a general overview of those gifts, but starting last week, we're spending four weeks, I think, total, uh, unless the Spirit does something different, looking at the gifts in action by studying um, different people in the scripture, heroes of our faith, and that had these spiritual gifts and how they played out and how it made them see the world so that we can understand it better a little bit in our real time today. So last week we talked about the evangelist and we did a study on, uh, a, a brief study on Philip, the evangelist. He's the only one, he's not the only evangelist in the scripture, but he's the only one that has the title, uh, Philip the evangelist. Uh, and we looked at his life and um, how he fulfilled the need, or how evangelists, and all of us evangelize to a certain extent, but that spiritual gift is to fulfill the need of the people who need salvation, who need to hear the gospel message. And then we also looked at uh, John the Baptist. Uh, as we looked at the prophet. The prophet uh, tends to have that supernatural capacity to call out sin, to call out what's black, call out what's white. Um, and so that when people hear the gospel and respond, then what things in my, my life is holding me back? What things in my life need to be um, brought to a momentary conviction, because we're not made to live in guilt, but a conviction to guilt, to, to forgiveness, to freedom that it leads us to the invitation of his grace and mercy. Now, with the ones we're going through, these next two build on those. And so we're going to continue to be moving forward into the, this area. So the next step is now that the sin is called out, and we're moving out the sin, and we're beginning into repentance, what do we fill it with? We need the teacher. So this next one here, as Chris puts up, we're going to put the teacher. Uh, actually, it should be an S, I guess, because I want to talk to you today about Priscilla and Aquila. Has anybody heard of them? Okay, so they're kind of, uh, I don't know, it's, it's horrible to say it this way, but kind of like a, a beeline uh, character story. It's not one that, that's main thread like Peter or Paul, uh, but they're all ones that we actually know quite a bit about for uh, the level that Luke talks about them. And I think in their particular testimony, it not just shows us what a teacher, spiritual gift of teaching looks like, 
but also how it's one of, our, one of our best examples of how important it is for our gifts to be working together. So if you would, let's go ahead and turn to Acts 18. Uh, again, there's Bibles around the room and the baskets underneath the chairs. If anybody needs to borrow one or take one or steal one, feel free. Uh, if you have version on your phone, it's not running, then you're out of luck. You, you can bring up the scriptures as I say them. So I'll take a look and see what's going on with that, but not right now. Okay, so in going to Acts 18, and this will let, let you jump around just a little bit too. Uh, this is where they're first inter- introduced. If you look over in verse 2, this is not going to be the main chunk of scripture that we're going to be um, using with them. But it does introduce them. Uh, in verse 2 it says, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. So we learn quite a few things here as uh, Paul is first introduced to this husband and wife team. This husband and wife team had a home church in Italy. They were Messianic Jews. They were t- teaching people about, about Christ. Um, and Aquila, I'll talk about this a little bit more later, but he's been around Jesus before. And so we've got this home church, and they get booted out of Rome with the persecution is spreading across the land. And so they get, get the boot, and they come into this area and meet Paul. And Paul uh, went to see them because they were the same trade. So there's kind of like this common ground that they have. Paul was a tent maker. If you didn't know that, that was kind of how he earned money on the side with his ministry. And so, so did uh, Priscilla and Aquila. They also were tent makers as well. So they had this, this common bond that they started out with. Then if you go up to verse 18, we learn a little bit more about, about them. It says, uh, after this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria. And with him were Priscilla and Aquila. So this is kind of our second mention. They are now traveling with Paul. They have complimentary gifts with Paul to be able to do ministry with. And we're going to find that for a good chunk of their time, they were on the road. A good chunk of the time, they're doing ministry as they go. But here's the scripture I really wanted to hit with you. So now in verse 24. Now, a man named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross over to Achaia, or pretend, tell you what these cough drops make words hard to say. There we go. The brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who, uh, who through grace had believed. For he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that Christ was Jesus. Now, predominantly, that particular uh, scripture is about Apollos. Uh, and can you tell, at this point you should be able to, what spiritual gift Apollos seems to be majoring in? Hmm? Evangelism. Evangelism. I mean, he, he, he's, excited. he's got the message. He's excited about the message. He's taking the message out. He's teaching it boldly. He's fervent about, about the way that he's doing things from an evangelism standpoint. The only challenge is, and it's, again, it's only kind of a one-liner that you find within this, is he only knows up to the baptism of John. 
And if you remember when we talked about this last week, baptism of John was different than baptism after Jesus. It was a unique baptism from the time that John showed up on the scene to Jesus' death and resurrection, which was a baptism of repentance. So, so again, prophets are all on board with that, but it's a baptism of repentance. But it's not a baptism that's fulfilled, and he didn't have all the information. So Luke, who wrote this, was very, very clear that he accurately was taking and presenting everything that he knew, but he didn't know quite enough. And so Priscilla and Aquila, being teachers, said, hey, can we go out and have some coffee at Panera? Basically is what happened there. They didn't, call, they, they didn't call him out in front of everybody. There was no reason for it. Sometimes public bad teaching needs a public rebuke. Because if you deal with it behind the scenes, then nobody else that heard that knew that it wasn't good. But that wasn't the situation here. This, this, this is, he has taken it up to a limit, and they say, hey, the next time you talk to these guys, I, can we tell you some really awesome stuff? Can we teach you these next steps? Can we take the doctrine and add it in too? And so then when he came back, he was all the stronger to be able to move forward. This is one of the great examples we see of those spiritual gifts coming together. He, he, he's all about the evangelism, but he was counting on the teachers to be able to take it deeper. He was counting on them to be able to take it to the next step. So with that example, and this is a shorter example, but we're going to build off of it a little bit more as we go. We have to go back to sheets because you guys love these sheets, right? And Nate and David are not here. So come on, Katie. Ginger, you want help? Yeah, you do. Look at the excitement on the faces of these young ladies as they come forward to, which side you want? Thanks. I guess you get that side. Have you read the sample too? The sheets, if you weren't here last week, are going to go through a lot of information about this particular gift. And I want you to look at all the gifts because, again, we have to see how they work together. So it's going to give you some more details about generally what a teacher looks like, some personality traits that you often find in teachers, the pros and cons of teachers, the downfalls sometimes of teachers, the way that Satan attempts. It's mostly information for you at home to be able to go a little bit deeper into the particular study. Now, I know Cindy and Kathy said last week they were too big. The letters were too big. So, so I, I made special notes, these little posts. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. No. Nope. Well, here's the thing, because this was the complaint last week, too. If it's too small for you, I love you. Tough. Because I'm literally taking it out of the book and uh, barely have enough time to squeeze it in. So be happy with what you got. Okay? Bring your magnifying glass next week. We love it. We love it. But you've got the information. So when you're in heaven someday and he says, are you responsible for this information? I didn't have my eyeglasses. Okay. So. What? You do have your eyeglasses. Yeah, you're fine. God loves you. <laughs> but let me put some main points up on the screen for you, and we'll go through those to make sure you don't miss those at least. Uh, being a teacher with the, the um, supernatural gift of being a teacher is more than being a Sunday school teacher. There's a lot of people that teach, there's, uh, whether it be school, Sunday school, Bible studies, that aren't necessarily going to find that their predominant gift is teaching. That doesn't mean that you're not skilled in teaching, but the gift, again, is your capacity, your main drive, it's your lens. So it does go deeper than that. A lot of people that have the spiritual gift of teaching are not satisfied with getting a pre-programmed study 
and look over it on Wednesday night over a couple of minutes and then go and teach it to five-year-olds. That's not enough of them. You're, you're going to be more digging into commentaries. You're going to be digging into some more information. A lot of times you're going to be teaching adults because the information that you're dying to get to is going to be, um, is going to be deeper than what usually happens within kid ministry. Uh, one of the, it's one of the four teaching gifts. Uh, teaching is obviously a teaching gift, but so is shepherding. So is being a prophet, and so is being an exhorter. It just has four different ways of uh, teaching. Others rely on the teacher for information, which we just saw with the evangelist that we saw, that they're looking for the deep doctrine from those that are gifted in that area, and that's why we work as a team. Teachers uh, live for two things, study and teaching. That's the lens. They love to study. They love to teach. Then uh, their challenges are being simple and practical because sometimes when they teach, uh, they might be excited to teach you about something that has nothing to do with anything. But sure is a cool nugget from Greece 1,600 years ago that is just interesting to them. Or they're so excited about this complex system that they want to tell you about, and it does not come off simple in any way, shape, or form, and you're left scratching your head. So one of the challenges that teachers deal with, again, is making sure things are simple and that they're practical within their teaching. Um, I've always, and I've said this with some others, especially when I'm mentoring on, on teaching, um, it was Einstein that said, if you can't explain something simply, you don't understand it well enough yourself. And I, I hold to that quite a bit. There's, there's several times like when we've come up on sermon, and I'm like, you know, this one section, and then if I go back and study it, then I can present it better. So that's something that teachers have to, to learn at. So keep those with you as we, we continue going through on teachers. Um, because, again, even if you're not a teacher, you need this information as we bring all this together here uh, in three weeks when we have our in-house uh, big meeting of all of us together. So, uh, so with that, let me give you some other things about Priscilla and Quilla, just because I think they're cool. Uh, they continued their travels. In 1 Corinthians 16, uh, we find them in Ephesus. In Romans 16, we find them in Rome. In 2 Timothy, we find them in Ephesus again. They continue to travel. <coughs> Excuse me. Aquila, a side note, was part of the 70 or the 72 disciples, depending on the translation you have, uh, that's from Luke 10. That's what I was talking about. Aquila's had more relationship with Jesus than we know if we just look at Acts. And that's coming from church history. And uh, Acts 10 is it's the only place it's mentioned. There's a couple times when Jesus sends out the 12 on these mission trips. He sends out these 70 or these 72, and um, they go out and do ministry according to how Jesus is and come back and report to him. Quillis was one of those people uh, that were within that mix. So he's been around for quite some time. Um, and this is, since we were joking about sexism in the church earlier, because <laughs> that's funny. Um, the um, one thing that's very interesting when it comes to Priscilla and Aquila is that out of the six times that they're mentioned as a couple, Priscilla is listed first, and three times Aquila uh, is uh, mentioned first. And if you don't know much about the scripture, you might miss it. That's huge. That's huge. We, we can't ignore that and then talk about how it, um, telling it is that Peter is always listed first with the disciples because he's the, the, the leader of the group or the closest to. Um, and I know that different people have different views when it comes to women in uh, ministry and different leadership uh, aspects of things. Uh, and oftentimes I get in, in conversations about that. I don't, uh, it's not something I get in fights about all the time, but it's something that people ask me about and whatnot. 
And uh, so I'm going to hit it here. And again, this is Tom Commentary. So when it comes to Tom Commentary, you can pick and choose if you like it. If, if it's the Bible, you're stuck with it. But for Tom Commentary, usually when we're saying minist- women should not be leaders in ministry, we're talking about some things that Paul said to the Church of Corinth that was dealing with all kinds of struggles. Um, and he was addressing those struggles within that church. And that's where you find the scriptures of a woman should not be teaching over a man and a woman should keep her mouth shut and those kind of things. And why we love to talk about those things at weddings, um, it is somewhat limited compared to things that Paul has said in other areas. We celebrate a female deaconess. We celebrate a husband and wife team where the wife is mentioned first three times over. And so Tom's understanding of that, and I could be wrong, uh, this is not a salvation issue, but Tom's understanding of that is that in that first century church, um, Jesus gave women a voice that they never had before. That, that's, I don't think that's debatable. Um, and within the church of Corinth, they're very excited about that voice, but they don't have the same biblical education that the men, men do at that point. They weren't, they, they weren't raised in, the, in the, the synagogue. They were raised to be wives and to be mothers. And so there was a lot of struggle going on because there was a lot of theology of, it seems to me that, instead of this is what the scripture says. And so that was what he was presenting there. Uh, I do not have a challenge when it comes to women ministry. We have uh, half of our elders are, are ladies and uh, many people in leadership uh, within that because I think that falls into the fullness of the context of the scripture. And I believe that, uh, I don't know, I'd be very confused if God is giving Holy Spirit gifts to people that they're not supposed to use. Um, so that's me. You can disagree with me if you want to. Uh, so that, that's kind of where I'm with that. And I think it's very interesting that, that Paul chose to mention, or Luke mentioned Priscilla half the time because they always worked as a team. Outside of that 70 cent, they always worked as a team. Uh, if I annoyed you in any way, shape, or form as far as suggesting that, then I'm really going to bother you now. Um, <laughs> The last thing I would share about Priscilla and Aquila, and this is a theory, it is not uh, known. We do not know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Okay, it's the only book in the Bible we do not know for a fact who wrote Hebrews. It has gone through the same test to be able to be scripture. It is God divine to someone who wrote it. Uh, it has been accepted as scripture f- since the very first moment that it hit the streets. Uh, but we don't know who wrote it. I predominantly believe that it was Paul and he just didn't follow his normal hey, this is Paul to the Church of Hebrews uh, mindset. I think a lot of what follows within it doctrinally is very Paulish. Uh, however, there are those who do believe that it was written by Priscilla. Um, they, they will point to some of the more poetic aspect of it versus the other letters of Paul. They will point to the mention uh, within it that they are sending greetings from the Church of Italy which you do not hear Italy very often at all in the scripture, except for when it comes to Priscilla and Aquila, uh, because that's where they started, and that's where the home church was, and where they continue to minister to from afar and in person. So there are those that believe that, uh, that Priscilla could be the author of Hebrews. I do not know. Once again, I do not consider it a, a, a salvation issue, but I think uh, that might be something I would have to struggle with, that possibility, if I was a little bit more... Uh, against women being able to do that. So with that, everybody still in the room? Nobody left? Whew. Gotcha. If you're a teacher, you have a spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God by making clear the truth of God's word with accuracy and simplicity. 
you are the scholar clarifying and ex uh, explaining doctrine and teachings of the Bible. So we've ha heard the gospel. We have accepted Christ. We are pointing out sin that we're, we're getting away from. We are being taught what to fill that space with from the scripture, from the teachers. And now we have to go to the exhorters. With the exhorters, it becomes, how do I make that happen in my life? So Chris, if you would, the exhorter. Barnabas. Barnabas, I talked a little bit last week. We, got, we kind of brushed up against him, but I want to go deeper into it. So if you would, let's go ahead and turn to Acts 4. I really like Barnabas. I'll explain why as we get into this. But again, an exhorter, it means that you are an encourager, that you beseech people. You're the how-to person, how to take what you just learned and make it part of your day-to-day -day life. Um, you're a, uh, you admonish people. We don't like the word admonish that much. We don't like the word uh, rebuke that much. But when it's done with 100% love and 100% truth, being admonished is a great thing because it helps you grow. We do it in love. And we're going to see a really good example of this uh, with Barnabas here in Acts 4. So we're going to start out in verse 32. And um, this is really kind of a replay. If you read Acts 2, 42 through 47, it says uh, more, but, uh, but 32 could almost just be taken from that, that chapter and moved over here because they say very similar things about what the church looked like in those very, very early days, right after Pentecost. Uh, so we know that there's at least 3,000 uh, followers at this point, at least. Um, now, the full number of those who believed, that 3,000 plus, were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as who were owners of lands or houses sold them, and brought to the proceeds of what was sold, and laid at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as everyone had need. So in, in the church, in the Christian realm, nobody had a need. Everybody shared everything. Now, I don't care if you're a Republican, Democrat. I don't care if you're for democracy, socialism, all that kind of stuff. I, I don't care about that stuff. This is awesome. This is cool. This is what the church is supposed to be doing. This, this is where they're taking care of each other. I love that. And they have it all in common. And then, all of a sudden, Luke, who wrote this, busts out this in verse 36. Thus, Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and bought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. In some ways, when you compare those two verses to the rest of it, the question is almost like, well, who cares? He did the exact same thing that everybody else did. Right? I mean, he, he didn't do anything above anybody else. He had a field. He sold it. He helped people. That's great. That's what the church would be. But how come this guy gets mentioned? There would be, you don't know my names like that because other people in the church might get their feelings to it that they're not being congratulated in this special book either. The reason being is because Joseph was such an encourager. Such a He just stood out. He was an exhorter. He was an exhorter. So much so, and this is the thing I like about Barnabas, that the apostles, with all the stuff they had going on, when you just go from like hiding in an upper room to a church of 3,000, there's a lot of details to be figured out, right? And you're taking care of everybody and all this other stuff. All this stuff's going crazy around you that they look at this guy and say, you are such an encourager, man. You just knocked me out. 
you just knock me out. I'm not even going to call you Carly Joseph anymore. I don't care if your mom gets mad. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. You're, 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 like, you're literally like the embodiment of encouragement to the point that you're the child of it. I'm going to call you Barnabas. Because he was an exhorter. This is what he does. This is what he is made for. Do you see how his lens is above everybody else? He wasn't just doing it. It's just he was driven by it. In his spiritual capacity, he is growing within it as he goes. And he becomes, let's see, let's go over to chapter 11. He becomes, because of, of this trait in him, becomes quite trusted by the, the, the apostles and gets called to a very special um, mission. In, in, in cha chapter 11, verse 19, what we're going to come up across is when the Holy Spirit is busting out all over the place when it comes to the Gentiles. Everything kind of up to this point, a couple chapters before this, it's all been the fulfillment with the Jews, but now it's moving into the Gentiles. We have uh, Cornelius' house, we have Peter's vision. All these different things happen. We just talked about that recently, so I won't overkill it with you. Um, and Peter, from the, the Cornelius' house experience, has come to the apostles at the beginning of 11, is telling them, you won't believe this, the Holy Spirit is busting out over the, the Gentiles. It's not just for us Jews. And so in verse 19, we see the continuation of that. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except for the Jews. And if you're not aware of that, we talked about this a little bit last week, um, where F Philip was one, one of the seven, the original seven that oversaw the needs of people. Uh, and Stephen, one of the, his buddies within that, was arrested and persecuted and stoned to death. Um, for his ministry, and that's when the persecution started and they were all scattered all out. One thing to keep in mind, just for a second here, uh, is that the person who gave the authority over Stephen being stoned to death was who? Paul. Paul. He, he wasn't Paul yet, he saw, but, but Paul. He was, he, was a, he was a religious zealot, he was a religious terrorist that was having people killed and arrested like mad. So when this Stephen was killed and they were all persecuted because of, because of Saul, they all spread out. Now, verse 20 says, but there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, also preaching the Lord Jesus. Hellenists, you can just replace that with Gentiles for the time being. It goes deeper than that, but that's the general gist. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So we see in the second wave of salvation of the Holy Spirit coming to the Gentiles. Now, in verse 22, the report of this came to the ears of the church of Jerusalem. So as Peter's telling them about what's going on over here, now they're getting reports of what's going on in Antioch. And so the apostles decide they send Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them, because he's the exhorter, he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man. I mean, Luke just can't help himself. He just keeps hitting it over and over again. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Why? Because he knew how to encourage. He continued to exhort. Verse 25, So Barnabas took, went to Tarsus to look for who? Saul. Saul. And he, when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Let me just throw this out. Um, there's some movements I've not heard it in our midst in any way, shape, or form, but I've seen it in the country where people like, don't want to be called Christians anymore because it has such a bad rap to it. Uh, please don't try to replace Christian. Please try to reclaim it. Uh, the, 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 the beauty of the word Christians, it means to be Christ-like. 
a Christ follower. And we were first given that title, not by the church trying to come up with a slogan or a brand. It was those in the community that said, those people are so much like that Christ guy I keep hearing about, we're just calling them Christ followers. It was the world that gave us that name. And we need to live it instead of trying to, to reject it. But, but anyway, so that, that's where it came from. But the, of course, the challenge is, why in the world would Barnabas go get this religious zealot and terrorist to come help him in Antioch? Uh, it's not some kind of big plot twist. It's just, as most of us know, between there and here, Saul found Jesus. So he had the, the word Damascus experience. He came to Jesus. He took the experience he had and the education he had from before, and it's now fulfilled, and he's teaching. He's become more of an evangelist prophet type um, end of things. But, as you would guess, nobody wanted to work with him. It's like if he set up a revival here in Marion, hardly anybody's going to go because it's probably set up, and he's just going to shoot everybody when you get there. I think I'll skip that. Nobody wanted to work with him. Who's going to want to work with somebody that nobody wants to work with, an exhorter. Where? At a community that nobody else wants to go to and walk in. He was a champion for Saul. If, there, if it was not for Barnabas, and I do believe this is pretty unarguable, um, if that's a word, but you know me, I, don't, I just make them up. Um, if there was no Barnabas, there was no Paul. That's how, I, how far I go with it. Nobody else was giving him a shot. And so he came in and he, he worked with him for a year, because, it, because that's what an exhorter does. Later, it's interesting, um, in Acts, where is it, 15, uh, he has to champion somebody else by going up against Paul, who he already championed. Do you guys remember that story? There's a guy named Mark that was working with him. They were going to do mission trips, and uh, Mark was Barnabas' uh, younger cousin, and uh, he got halfway through a mission trip, and he, and he failed. He went back home. He felt too overwhelmed. And so when he wanted to get back into ministry, Paul said, no, it's too important. We can't, we can't have this guy ditching on us left and right. And so Barnabas, the exhorter, championed his nephew. So I'll tell you what, why don't we, I take Mark, we go and do ministry. You go do ministry. We double the ground. We double the impact that Christ has. And that's what an exhorter does as he continues to help people to move forward. So with that, it's just very interesting how they worked. Because, again, you got Paul, the evangelist prophet, Barnabas, the exhorter, doing much more because they were working together. Sheets! I had a blanket earlier, but Amanda, get back to me. You guys want it? Did they do a good enough job? Can we have them do it? Okay. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to switch out cough drops. Thank you, ma'am. Now, this is where I just kind of dilly-dally for a few seconds because you guys are all in the habit of talking to each other as we hand out the sheets and you don't hear anything I'm saying anyways. <laughs> Might throw in a couple of biblical words so that in the back of your mind you think that the sermon's still going. Love Jesus Bible. James. I'm not at the point of talking about John yet. John. Now see, when I do it that way, you guys don't talk as much. Okay, so let's go to a list of things on the screen. Talk about some things with exhorter. Again, exhortation is a teaching gift. It's just not going to be the same as what the teacher or the prophet does. It's going to be more, again, on a practical basis. It's going to be more one-on-one. -on -one. It's going to be more relational. Um, thank you very much, hon. Um, the exhorter believes, and is deep in their belief, their lens is, 
that God's Word has an answer for every problem. Now, I think most of us as Christians know that the Word of God is the book, but if I'm overwhelmed with a struggle and it's like, well, God never dealt with that because they didn't have that kind of thing back then, the exhorter will tell you, no, we're going to get in the Word. We're going to find the promise on this. We're going to find the instruction on this. Uh, they are more interested in the positive instead of the negative. So if you're talking to them about something that you're going through in their life, an exhorter is going to keep taking you back to seeing beyond the circumstances. They're not just going to keep you in those circumstances that are, that are willing around you. Um, and they use scripture as it applies to the everyday life. That's, that's very commonplace. Uh, if you have somebody who wants to be encouraging to you, uh, that are not an exoder, that can actually become a little bit of a challenge. Um, I would put it to, um, a lot of times, again, I've been working with teens for over 30 years, and um, teens tend to go to other teens for advice. Once you get to that kind of junior high, high school range of things, does everybody notice that? So going to the parents or whatnot. Um, so, so, so much a blessing that they love each other and care for each other, but they really don't know the things that an older person knows. Um, and I got to thinking uh, a while back, like, going through the situation that I was going through at that particular time, I wonder what 16-year-old Tom's advice would be in that situation. I thought, <laughs> he was an idiot. Uh, <laughs> it's not the best advice that comes with you. That's kind of sometimes going through a situation and trying to replace an exoder with somebody that doesn't have that gifting. That a lot of times I see people take and say, you think you got it bad, let me tell you how bad my life is, and it becomes some kind of little competition between two of you, and it doesn't move you forward. So those are some things to be able to watch with that as well. Use scripture as it applies to every day. So if you're an exhorter, you have a spirit-given capacity and desire to serve God by motivating others to action, by urging them to pursue a course of conduct. You are the how-to teacher explaining how to apply God's word to everyday life. Do you see how all the gifts that we're talking about, every single one of them is needed, working in concert with one another, and one is missing, then there's a huge need that, fall, that falls to the wayside. This is why we keep building. We've got to know all of them before we do the assessments for ourselves so we can talk about them as how this works with us as a community. If you were blessed by today's teaching, we hope you return for our next podcast. Or better yet, stop by the Shepherd's Fellowship any Sunday morning to join us live. You can learn more about the church by calling 740-382-3500 or check us out online by going to tsflife.com. That's tsflife.com. You can also support the ministry of TSF Life by donating at our church website or sending support to the Shepherd's Fellowship 1647 Marion Marysville Road, Marion, Ohio, 43302. Thank you for spending your time with us today, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Be blessed.